Church, we're starting in a new series uh, this morning. It's uh, Tulip. It's the Doctrines of Grace. Everybody's like, these guys, they, they love to talk about the doctrines of grace. So what we wanted to do, we wanted to take some time to really just lay it out there um, and I want to just be upfront with you all, um, as would all of our pastors, is that this is not a hill to die on. This is something that all of the pastors here are uh, in agreement on, is these doctrines, but we understand that within orthodoxy, so there's going to be a lot of big words, so just raise your hand if you like need explanation at any point in time. Like We don't need to talk back and forth, but like, hey, like line, like some, some kind of like thing where it's like, hey, orthodoxy is just the, the, the same sound belief for churches, right? Orthodoxy, when it falls within sound teaching. Meaning, if you're within orthodoxy, you're not living in heresy. You're not going against the word. So this is one of those, those secondary issues for us as a church. But we think it's important to, to not just avoid things and like say, oh, well, this is secondary, or oh, people may not agree, so let's just avoid it. No, we want to share it, and we want to, to the best of our ability, answer your questions along the way. So the last Sunday in May, we're going to be having a Q&A um, during the service, but we're going to be answering questions that you've already sent in. So it won't be a free-for-all. So if you all would, you can go ahead and get your phone out and go to newhilloh.com ask. All those questions that you send in will be answered the last Sunday of May. We did this uh, a couple years ago. Early on in our church plant stage, we had a Q&A series, and we thought it was very important and very beneficial, I think, to everybody uh, for us to be able to ask those questions openly and freely. Um, but we do want you all to understand that, that your pastors need grace on this because this is something we believe, but this isn't something we're saying, hey, you have to believe this or get out of here. That's not, everybody, can you say amen to that real quick? You do not have to agree with every point, but we do want to lay out from the scriptures why we believe it and why we think it's biblical. These are the doctrines of grace. My bud, uh, good buddy um, from back home in, in West Virginia, because I'm from West Virginia, I hear there's a, a little game that we have going on that every time Pastor Michael says he's from West Virginia, um, I don't know if you're supposed to say amen, because there's no drinking games here in the church, um, so it, it's nothing like that, um, but there's some kind of game going on every time I say I'm from West Virginia, but guess what, guys, I'm proud of, of my heritage uh, from West Virginia, it's where I'm from, proud of it, um, I don't even know where I was going with that now. Mark's, Mark's, Mark's laugh from back there got me. Anyway, I'm from West Virginia. How about that? That, that was it. That was it. I needed the amen to, to remind me. My good buddy from West Virginia, Chris Priestley, uh, posted um, in this class that they were going through. And, and I saw in his notes, I'm like, I'm going to zoom into his notes. What's he, what's he got going on? He's teaching this class. And one of the first lines was, sound theology always leads to proper doxology. Now, that is important to us, right? Because what it means is, is a right understanding of the scriptures, diving in deep to even secondary issues, when properly understood, leads to proper praise. Okay, so doxology is, is how we praise. It's liturgical format. It's, it's the way we worship God. Okay, so when we have a right understanding of doctrine, it means that we have a right understanding of God. Right, we don't, want, we don't want to have like a checklist and say, I know that doctrine. <laughs> Guys, look at all the things I know. Look at this, look at this, look at this. No, it's so that we would understand the God who made us and everything in the world. So that's what the series is for. So show us grace as we uh, seek to um, bring out the scriptures and bring clarity and also charity within the Christian faith. There are secondary issues. They're still important. Let's pray, could we? 
Father God, we just we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for the community you've placed us in. Guys, we prepared to, to dive into um, a deeper issue, talking about the doctrines of grace and, and how we were saved and why we were saved and, and the reason we were saved, right, that, that we are to glorify you with every bit of our being. God, I pray that you would, you would um, give us comfort, God, that you would give us encouragement. I pray most importantly, God, that you would lead us into your word. Lord, for myself included, that we would not just stick to things that we've been told, but God, we would humbly approach you and your word, seeking to see what you have for us, not what we have for one another. God, we are to encourage one another, but all of our encouragement, all of our praise, all of our adoration has to do with you. So everything that we do, we seek to bring you glory. And I pray that you would be glorified through this series. I pray that we would ask the, uh, the questions that need to be asked and they would be answered throughout this series and on the last day of this series. Um, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. So total uh, depravity is what we're going to be talking about today. TULIP is the doctrines of grace. It's the way that it's been kind of laid out and a, a nice acronym for us. Uh, so I'll lay this out real quick. We're going to be in the T today. We're going to be in the P next week. So we're going to go a little bit out of order. But it's total depravity of man, unconditional election, limited atonement, um, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. We're going to be in total depravity today. And it's something that is really important because this is going to be a building block for us from the scriptures for the rest of this series because what this has to do with total depravity is the total depravity of man and it's the doctrine of man's condition, right? So when you go to a doctor, which, which we know God to be the great what, church? Physician, right? So a doctor of sorts, right? The spiritual doctor. And, and when we talk about him being the doctor, we must understand why he is known as the great physician. It's because man has a condition that needs fixed, Amen. Amen. Like so, so this is this is where like when we're getting into the T of tulip, this is where it's going to be uncomfortable just starting every every week. It's going to be something. But I, I want us to pray for grace in this time, because what this is going to do is expose my condition. Right. I, I want to I'm going to talk about myself first. It's going to expose your condition and it's going to expose mankind, the human race's condition that we are desperately in need of a savior. And that's never fun to talk about. And so for the first two points that we're going to go through, I'm really going to drive home our sin. So it's going to be uncomfortable, right, talking about how bad we are, like, ah, oh, here we go. But it's going to get good. But the thing we don't want to do is ignore man's condition. We don't want to ignore our sin. Otherwise, what is the taste of grace? What taste of grace do we get if we don't understand the reason we needed the grace to begin with? So if we ignore our condition... If we ignore man's condition, we don't understand the beauty and the fullness of the riches of grace. So the three points we're going to talk about in, in dealing with the total depravity of man is fallen man, fallen me, and holy God. Let's start with fallen man. Fallen man, fallen mankind, right? The entire human race is under condemnation. How did this happen? How did sin enter the world? God didn't create it with sin in it, Right? We know that. We know that sin had already been happening. The uh, angels had fallen. Satan had fallen. And Satan comes in the form of a serpent into the garden. We see that in Genesis 3, that, that Eve takes of the fruit she eats. But it was Adam's sin. Adam follows right after her. And the account falls on Adam. And we know this. But how did this affect mankind? If you all would, you can turn with me uh, in a Bible. We've got Bibles under the seats. If you brought them with you, great. Again, be 
taking notes, ask questions uh, to the link I mentioned before. We're going to be in Romans uh, for the majority of uh, this morning. We're going to be in Romans 5 to start out. This is a, a very lofty letter that Paul writes to the Christians in Rome. And it's beautiful because what we get is we get a, a lot of the pieces of the puzzle of God's redemptive plan unfolding across all of history. We get it here in Romans. He's, he's laying it all out because he longed to go there, right? He longed to go to Rome at this point and, and he eventually made his way around. But hey, if you don't think that you're gonna be able to make it there, what are you gonna do? Write it all down, right? You're gonna write everything that you can in case you don't get to go and tell them what they need to know. So Paul picks up here in Romans 5, verse 12. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, think about that. Just as, therefore, sin came into the world, so it came into this creation, which God looked at and said, it is good. Then sin comes in, and it says the way that this sin came in was through one man. Everybody say his name with me. Adam. Sin came through Adam. Came into the world through Adam. And death through sin, because the wages of sin is what, church? Death. So sin brings about death. So death through sin, and so death spread to all men. And women too, right? Like I like to remind my wife, I'm like, remember like this language, you, you want to know what the Bible has to say, babe, this is, this is to me and to you. It's read to mankind because all sinned. Now jump down to verse 18 with me. I'm not ignoring things, right? There's just a lot of context here, and I want to get to verse 18. He's talking about sin. He talks about the free gift. It's not like a trespass in verse 18. He goes on dealing with grace and our sin, how we're justified through faith. But verse 18, therefore... As one trespass, one, one trespass, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So church, we stand guilty before the holy God, not simply because of what we do, but because of what Adam did. That's why at the moment of conception, our children are sinners, right? You're like... That I get, right? They come out and they're crying. If they're not crying, you like want them to cry, right? Because that's a sign. And I'm like, it's a sign of the fallen nature. I just don't think that God intended babies just come out crying, right? Like it just, it shouldn't happen. Every time I think about it, I'm like, this, there's something here, but they're gasping for breath. And immediately you don't have to teach a child because they already know it's their nature, which Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, we are children of wrath by nature. So it's our nature, so uh, sin, Adam's sin, was imputed to all of creation. So all of us have Adam as what we would call a federal head. He's our representative, right? He's our representative. So sin entered the world through one man. This is the doctrine of original sin. First off, what is doctrine? Don't feel like anything's too silly here. I was writing down notes, and I was like, you know what? I need to take a second to explain. So, like, I had to Google it myself. Like, I say doctrine all the time, right? Like, what does it mean? Well, the good World Wide Web says that doctrine is a belief or set of beliefs held or taught by a church, political party, or other group. We're neither of the two latter. We're the first. We are a church. So this doctrine that we talk about is, is something that we hold to. It's a belief or set of beliefs that we teach, 
here as a church, okay? So this is important for us to dive into. It's important for us to take serious. So this is the doctrine of original sin. So now I'm going to pull a Pastor Mark here real quick, and we're going to dive into some other words, some big words. And I might need your help, Pastor Mark. All right, are you ready? I know you're ready. you got the smile. You're like, yes, yes. All right. So there's three different views when it comes to original sin, and I want to deal with these and put them out there because we don't hold to all three, the pastors, but maybe you hold to one, and you're like, hey, I want some clarification. What is, what is the cool term that I hold to? Um, so you have first uh, Pelagianism. Did I say it right? Pelagianism. This is that we have no relation to Adam. This view would hold to Adam doesn't represent us. It, it's not that there's sin in the world, right, but there's no relation from us to Adam, Okay. Now, some of you all are like, well, we just read Romans 5, so it doesn't seem like I fall under that. You would probably be correct. We don't, we don't hold to this one. Then you have semi-Pelagianism. This is that we are weakened by sin, but we are not dead in our sin. This means that we, as, as fallen beings, can come to Christ by our own volition. And then you have uh, the one that I, I didn't prepare for, but Augustinianism. Boom, I'm just getting the nods. You don't even have to speak today, brother. You'll do the benediction, and that'll be your chance to to talk, okay? So this is the view where we, your pastors, would hold to, is that all people are dead in their trespasses and stand condemned because of Adam. All right, now think about that. Now, now you can fall uh, within any of those. You'd probably fall within the semi-Pelagianism or the Augustinianism, um, but, but listen to this. Let's think about those things, talking about the doctrine of original sin, how Adam's sin affected every single human being. And think about these two verses. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, down to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life. For all men. It's talking about Jesus later, right? We've got, we've got Adam as a, a type of the one to come, which Paul also writes about, okay? So when you read those verses, you begin to get an understanding that, that we are condemned because of something that Adam did. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We are condemned because of something Adam did. Correct. We are. Before our lungs breathed, the first scream that we could scream, we stood condemned before the holy God. Steve Lawson says at the moment of Adam's transgression, his unrighteousness was imputed to all mankind. Okay? Now, there's, there's hope in this, right? Like, so it's like, oh, man, like I stand condemned. Like, this just feels like, like school again, right? The kids, the bigs are learning a lesson today, and what they're talking about with this, this view is, have you ever gotten in trouble in your classroom because of something else, uh, something someone else did? Some of you all are teachers, like, yep, yep, the kids get in trouble because of one kid's actions, right? It's like, how, how, is, that, how is that fair? How's that right? That, that, that we are dead in our trespasses. See, and, and we believe that because Paul says that we are dead in our trespasses. Not like, ah, this hurts. No, he says that, that me, Michael Meadows, apart from Christ, I was born dead, a, a child of wrath by nature, in need of a Savior because I had nothing to, to earn. I had nothing to do with righteousness on my own. And Steve Lawson nails it there. 
that at the moment of Adam's sin, he even goes on to say, when did you, when did I become a sinner? He's like, some 6,000, 8,000 years ago. And it's like, wait a minute. Started counting back my birthday, and I'm like, whoa, I've been a sinner longer than I've been alive, right? Like, that's, it sounds like some kind of like Waylon Jennings song, like, been, been sinning since creation began, right? Like, I don't know, it just feels like, you know, I'm from West Virginia, so there we go. Is, number, is that number two? Mark, five? I'm up to five? Sweet. I've got eight back there. There we go. Don't hold it against me. I'm totally depraved, apart from Christ, church. All right, let's talk about this, the Old Testament. Talking about our sinful nature, being totally depraved and in need of Christ and having no way to save ourselves. What does it say about mankind? Not just me. Remember, this is fallen man. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is what, church? Deceitful. Above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Church, we are sinners. We are totally depraved, each and every one of us, because we stand condemned because of our federal head, Adam. We are, we are born this way. And this doesn't, this doesn't seem fair. I, I remember this, this uh, nice little illustration. It was a, a meme going around Facebook during uh, COVID in the early days, and it said, let me explain to you how COVID works. So I'm going to use this to explain how sin works, right? It says, Sally goes to a craft event with her friends. Sally brings glitter. There are 10 friends. The other friends don't bring glitter. How many people have glitter on them? Everybody. I've got two daughters. And I'm telling you, glitter you bring, if we brought it into the sanctuary right now, put it right here, every one of you would walk off with glitter somehow on your face. It's the worst, right? Like, ask Aubrey and tell her to repent because when I was playing lacrosse my senior year of high school back in West Virginia, she, she dumped this, this sign on me. She, like, thought it was funny to, like, rub this sign on me. And, you know, you're, like, all sweaty and stuff. And, and I'm like, this is gross. I literally had glitter on me for a month. And it was just not a good look your final year of your senior year of high school just having glitter on your arms, right? It wasn't a good look. We also are sinners that way. And guess what? We're not just condemned because of Adam. We're condemned by our unrighteous acts also. Fallen man and fallen me, point number two. See, it's not just, see, it seems unfair, right, that we would stand condemned because of Adam. But it's this nature that we've inherited, but we give into it. And, and we'll look at people and we'll think, and this is the, the total depravity of man, this is why this doctrine is important, we'll look at other people and be like, I'm not as bad as them, right? But the scriptures teach us that you may not be as bad as you can be, but you're as bad off as you can be. That meaning you may not be the one who, who goes and commits adultery, but guess what? Jesus raised the bar and said, if you even think with a lustful thought you've committed adultery. And guess what? There's no list. We try and talk about lists, and you know what that is? That's me when I do that, trying to find some kind of self-righteousness to think that I am holier than that person instead of drawing to the one who's holier than me, the creator of all creators, the, the, the king of all kings. Church, we are sinful. It's just when we've lowered the bar to, well, I don't do that, I must be okay. Then we're never going to seek out our sanctification. We're never gonna pursue the one who laid his life down on the cross. So it's not just a fallen creation, it's fallen us. We are fallen, and we give into that sin when it presents itself. 1 John 1.8 
says this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. How can we say that we don't have sin? How can we say that? How can we say that we do not have sin? Church, if we don't have sin, we have no need for a savior. But guess what? We are condemned because of one man's transgressions, but we also give in to our own transgressions probably every day if we're being honest, right? And it doesn't feel good to talk about that. But I don't wanna move on to the third and final point and give us the hope until we realize that we stand condemned before a holy God without the sacrifice of Jesus. And that we can do nothing to merit favor with the holy God because we are, every bit of us is wicked. And again, it feels so uncomfortable. Church, let me, let me step back here. I'm talking to myself first, right? I'm preaching to myself. We are all in the same boat and that's what this doctrine should do is remind us the need for the Savior to intervene in our sinful life and do what he did to Paul and drag him, turn him around, blind him, and make him a new cre- uh, creation. Romans 3, so we're gonna step back a little bit and pick up in, in verse nine. If you got your Bibles, you can just flip back a page or two. And Paul writes here, and uh, some verses that we're familiar with, but he picks up in, in verse nine of Romans 3, and he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. And he's talking about how the Jews were, were God's people, right? They had the oracles of God. So then he, he says that, that even they fell and, and did things, right, and, and whatnot. So much to, to unpack there, but this is the context. So then he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul takes a a lot of scriptures and kind of makes like a remix, right? This is like the greatest hits of man's depravity, right? Like, thanks, Paul. Like, you just got like all of the verses. Like, if you typed in on Google, like, hey, make me feel terrible from the Bible, right? It'd be like, it'd be this. It'd just start reciting to you. None is righteous. No, not one. No one does. But it's true. This is not something we should just skip past. Like, this is the part that I don't like. I don't like it. But it's talking about my condition, and it's talking about my need for the holy God to intervene. And he talks about man's condition here. But there's a problem, a big problem, when we talk about sin. It's this comparison, right? Because I'm not this or that, I'm okay. Let me tell you something. It's so easy for us to do. In a world where it's like, as a church, it's like, hey, we're supposed to speak up against abortion and homosexuality, and it's like, if you don't do those two things, then, you know, like, that's the real Roman's road. And it's like, that's not the Roman's road. And don't get me wrong, church, I'm not, I'm not like, pushing those sins to the side and saying that they're not important. But what we do as Christians is we say, like, hey, I'm not this and that, and I'm talking about those two things, and not an adulterer and not a murderer. If you don't do those, you could probably stand okay before God. And I know that I won't be able to do that. Why? Because the scriptures speak of my fallen condition. When Paul says none is righteous, he didn't say everybody but Michael is not righteous. I would be at the top of the list of the unrighteous. 
Paul talks about that as well when he writes. He's trying to paint this picture that he is, is the leader. He's the chief of sinners. I would contend with Paul and say, no. Right, like now we're fighting over who's more sinful and like, who, who's great, like how the grace shines through this person more. But it's important that we understand the state. None is righteous, not me. No one understands, not me. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says the word of God is folly to those who are perishing. It means that they don't understand it because it's spiritually discerned. So no one understands. It says all together have turned aside. Romans 1, 18, uh, Paul talks about our state, um, our sinful state being that we suppress the truth. The world creation can see the thumbprint of the triune God and they suppress that truth, willfully suppress that truth. Church, before Christ, I was willfully suppressing that truth. I'd argue with Christians about being saved. Being saved, you don't need to be saved. I was suppressing that truth. I needed to surrender, not suppress. He says, all have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. Again, this is where the comparison comes in. No one does good? Tell that to the guy who just went in a fire and saved somebody's life, right? In comparison to what? Is the man who went into the fire, is, is, is that going to save a soul or is that going to save the flesh? Now, don't get me wrong, that's great, right? Wherever, wherever uh, Jeremy Dubois is, that's great. What he does is, is noble. But when we look at that, we can't sit there and say that, that that is good in the sense of righteousness before the holy God because if we aren't doing things to the glory of God, it's not good. It's in vain. And let me tell you, we can, we can talk to, to Brother Jeremy about why he got into that. And I'm sure he wouldn't just say, right here, money. No, there's something satisfactory about it, that it, there's something fulfilling about doing that, and there's something God-honoring in that. But if we don't do things to the glory of Christ, we do it in vain. He says, no one does good, not even one. And then he says, their throat is an open grave. Just think of that, that we, from our inner being, are spewing out the aroma of death. says they use their tongues to deceive. We got venom. We're, our mouth is full of curses and bitterness. It says their feet are swift to shed blood. Now listen to this. Our sinful nature leads to this. Their paths are ruin and misery. You know what follows our transgressions before the holy God? Misery, death, lawlessness, separation from God for all of eternity without repentance. It says, in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's in our human sinfulness that we suppress this truth. It's in our sinfulness. We are sinning when we ignore our sin. We're sinning when we ignore the fact that, that we are no better than anybody. And when we understand this state, we can begin to, to praise God more fully and with a better understanding of who he is what he did on our behalf. You see, this only bothers us when we have a low view of sin and the Savior, and we have a high view of ourself. See, when we, when we begin to raise the bar and say, like, no, what, what is righteousness? What is good? We begin to see the holy God on the cross shedding his blood for his people, and it's that we've lowered this view of God, like, Hey, well, if God is a friend of sinners, then, then it must be down here. And because he forgives his people, then, then the transgressions really aren't that bad. But when we better and more fully understand fallen mankind, original sin, and fallen me, we have a better view of the holy God, point number three. See, we need to, we need to raise that view. 
It's not like I just did something wrong to my wife and, you know, like she'll just get over it. This is the holy God. And he's so holy that one man's sin left us all condemned. Like, if we pick up on that, we begin to understand the holiness of God just from Romans 5. That one man's transgression was applied to all people. Therefore, in Romans 5.18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. That means because Adam sinned, we are all condemned before God. That is how holy he is, Steve Lawson says. That we are now condemned through Adam's transgression. But church, there's hope. There's hope. Now let's talk about the holiness of God. Isaiah 6.3. What does Isaiah 6.3 say? It says this. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now let's look at Revelation 4.8. You know it's serious when we get in the Revelation on a Sunday morning, right? Like, this is important. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease. They don't stop saying this. And men, this is not the, the praise we expect when we get into like our house, we walk in. Holy, holy, no, this is God, and this is due to God alone because he is the king of all kings, the creator of all things. They say, and they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's how holy God is. But look at this. The hope that we have. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, we are totally depraved. So one act of righteousness, Christ on the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. For as, in verse 19, if you're following me, it's not going to be on the screen. For as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So just as Adam's sin was imputed to you, by faith in Jesus, him intervening in your life and your surrendering to him, your sin is imputed to Christ and his righteousness to you and praise be to God for that because we get the righteousness of God. We are now justified before the holy God. We now stand not condemned, but we stand before God adopted into the family, back into the fold of God because of what Jesus did on our behalf, because Jesus did what we could never do, because Jesus bestowed his grace upon us. And there's this command, as the band comes back up, I wanna end here. First Peter 1, 15 through 16. This is important, because if we were dead in our trespasses and we were made alive in Christ Jesus, then we now in Christ Jesus have a command not to lower the bar of holiness, but to seek the bar of holiness says this, Peter writes this command, but as he who called you is holy, talking about God, so God is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Church, apart from Jesus, we are totally depraved. Every one of us is, is standing condemned before Christ, standing condemned with no hope in and of ourselves, and that's not something that's gonna sell the books, right? That's not gonna put it in front of the best sellers. If Lifeway was still around, you might make their best sellers, but this isn't gonna make New York Times best seller, talking about our totally depraved state. But church, that's what grace is all about. Because grace is receiving something we did not earn. Mercy is withholding something we deserved. And we've received mercy and grace from the holy God who saw us dead in our trespasses dead 
not gasping. He took those empty, collapsed lungs and put life in them. He deserves the praise. He alone deserves the praise. And now I know what we're gonna deal with. What we're gonna deal with in this series is like, well, then how can anybody come to faith if you believe this, if you believe all of this, these doctrines? First off, remember, this is secondary, but let me give you the answer to that. Let me give you the answer to, to what I believe needs to happen. You cannot separate the fact that everybody needs to repent and believe. Every person here that is saved by God's grace can tell you that they have a moment where God did something, where they went and they were maybe not doing everything that Paul was doing. Remember, church, don't lower the bar to other people. Raise the bar to God's holiness. Don't look at other people's testimony. But we can all look, those who have, have professed faith in Christ, we can look and say, I was not seeking this out. I was not doing this. And God met me where I was and saved my soul. And how did that play out? By you repenting and believing, the act of faith. So if you're here today and you're like, this is crazy, I'm, I'm, I'm a wretch. Amen. I'm with you. Because every one of us, without Christ, are totally depraved. Repent and believe this morning. Repent and believe in the gospel. Surrender your life to Christ. And you can, you can praise him and, and be sure that, that Adam's sin isn't just imputed to you, but, but you can believe that that sin was imputed to Christ and his righteousness has now been imputed to you. Praise be to God. Let us stand and sing of his amazing grace that met us where we are. And Christian, those of you who already believe this week, what it should do is lead you out, not, not screaming, saying, I don't want to see anybody on the square this week being like, Everybody's a wretch. Everybody's going to hell. Like we don't, I don't need to see that. What we need to do is understand the state of man and we need to preach faithfully the gospel of Christ to sinful people, just as it was preached to us. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to gather around your word and I pray that we would continue to, to mull over this, to mull over your, your scriptures. God, that we would see the, the glorious grace that met us where we were. God, that while we were dead in our trespasses, you saved us. And I pray to the person here who's just feeling beat up and they haven't surrendered to you and have no other option, that they would see that they need to, to come to you. God, and I pray that you would draw them to yourself. God, I pray that you would save their soul and that they would believe in you today. God, I pray that as we go out and we witness, God, that we would, not, we would not go about yelling about the fallen nature of man, but we would understand the fallen nature of man. We would understand that, that those who we take this message to don't understand what is being said. And as we go, we pray you would go before us. As we speak, we pray that you would give us the words, pray that you would give us encouragement as we, we are rejected. And I pray that we would not stop sharing the gospel. Pray that we would, we would understand this doctrine more fully and praise you because of your grace and gently go to share of this good news that takes a wretch like me and saves my soul, reconciles me back to the Father, our holy God. Father God, we just pray that you just be with us as we leave here and depart from here and enjoy this beautiful weather and we make much of your creation and seek to glorify your name in all things. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.